Hi, this is Michael Geis at Think Big with Startups, Talent, and Winning on Campus. The following is a recording of a panel we held at MIT in September 2017. Titled, Your Roadmap to Landing a Role at a Startup, it included the following panelists. Joshua Feast, co-founder and CEO of Kajito. Justin Robinson, co-founder and SVP of New Business at Drizzly, Elliot Cohen, co-founder and CTO at PillPack, and Gopal Ramachandran, CTO at Wellframe. A special thanks to all the panelists as well as MIT for being terrific hosts. So why don't we kick this off real quickly? I'm Michael Geis. I run an organization called Think Big. Uh, we've been around for about five years, and what we do is help startups and innovative high-growth companies unlock great university talent, interns and new grads. Uh, we don't work with MIT, uh, but I'm actually from the area. So we work with places like University of Washington, Berkeley, Stanford, and then coming east through uh, places like Northwestern, U Chicago, Illinois, Michigan, Carnegie Mellon, uh, so I'm here today to basically bring together a, a really strong Boston foundry and CTO squad of panelists to talk about startup careers, what they involve, what they entail, why they can be so intriguing as you look at your career options, and I think most importantly, if it's an area and a path you want to pursue, how to think about your career development, how to think about leveraging what's going on here at MIT, leveraging all the really amazing stuff that's happening in the broader Boston community to kind of get those experiences, build that body of work that's going to have these startups dying to have you join their team. Because they're very different than a Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Amazon. They have different needs, different, uh, but uh, more importantly, they look for different characteristics in candidates. And the upside can be tremendous in terms of these companies with accelerated career paths. So down at the end, we got Josh Feast, uh, who's the founder CEO of uh, Kajito. We got Justin Robinson uh, here uh, from Drizzly. But we've got Gopal, from, uh, who's an MIT PhD student, correct? Grad, uh, who's at uh, Wellframe. Uh, and then um, we've got uh, Elliot here, who's the one of the co-founders of a company uh, in Somerville, right? Technically, it's our Technically, <laughs> I think we're about on the ten feet over border the of Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, a company called PillPack. So we've got uh, amazing experience base here and perspectives, both from a technical and a non-technical perspective. Got it. Well, why don't we zip through? We'll be pretty tight and concise, and just do real quick intros of uh, you know what, what your company is doing. Yeah. Give everyone a sense of sort of your, your space, and what, you, what problems you're solving. That's right. So yeah, could you take a question? So we um, basically help people be more charming on the phone. Um, and uh, so basically, the way it works, we have an application which we apply to large-scale call centers and big companies that helps get thousands and thousands of people to speak to customers how the organization wants, essentially. Um, and what it does, and so it's an artificial intelligence and behavioral science application. So uh, what it does is when a phone call or other conversation happens, the system measures how well the conversation is going by looking at behavior patterns of individuals. And then while people are speaking, and it provides real-time feedback uh, as you're speaking that helps you adjust the way that you speak so you come across um, again. 
to give you a sense of size, um, we're 90 people right now. Um, so we, we think about startups going from kind of seedling to sapling to mighty oak. We're kind of in the sapling stage, I would say. And then I will say on my side, so I'm an engineer by um, undergrad, which I, I did offshore. Came here and went to business school, so I went to Sloan. Um, and I've also started another company, which is in the hologram space, um, which is out in LA. Nice. So uh, much less scientific. Drizzly <laughs> is the largest marketplace in North America for beer, wine, and spirits sales. So we make it really easy for you to shop from local liquor stores and get beer, wine, and spirits delivered, shipped to your door, or pick it up in store. Pretty simple business model. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders. I focus on our new business, so new revenue revenue opportunities for, for the company. I graduated from Boston College here locally in 2011. I had one job at a startup before leaving that job to start Drizzly in 2012. So we've been around for five years. We're about 70 people. Of those, about 30 engineers and a few product folks really focused on the engineering and product side of, of our business. So, yeah, thanks for having us here. Appreciate it. Joe Paul, I'm at Wellframe. Uh, Wellframe builds care management software. So, you know, if you take kind of the sickest patients, they're constantly in and out of the hospital. And during those windows when they're not in the hospital, they're missing a lot of the support they need. And that's really kind of what's derailing their health in the longer term. So we build a mobile app on one side and then a patient or for the patients. And then on the provider side, we provide a web dashboard. And you can think of it as just a way for both sides to constantly communicate and keep in touch and really give the patients they need the, the support they need during those times and really hopefully just sort of improve their outcomes in the longer term. I'm on the technical side, so I did a PhD in math here at MIT, and I did an MD at Harvard Medical School. I worked briefly at uh, MGH. We built an iOS-based DMR, and then I worked on uh, some of you might have heard Research Kit. It's a project with Apple to do clinical trials at scale. My name is Elliot Cohen, and I helped found PillPack. We're a full-service pharmacy, so think just like any other retail pharmacy in the U.S. The difference is we package medication based on the way that you take it, and our ultimate goal is to make it simple and delightful to take and manage medication. Uh, it's usually a really frustrating process. We think it's really dehumanizing, so we want to make it feel a little more delightful and a little more human. My personal role there is uh, Chief Technology Officer, so I spend a lot of time on um, both product and on engineering, um, as well as ops. A lot of what we've built is stuff that the consumer cannot see that changes the way that we provide the operations of the actual pharmacy. Um, in my own personal background, before I started PillPack, I was an MBA student at Sloan as well. Uh, before that, I was a computer science and cognitive science student at Berkeley. So uh, you're going to have lots of options, right? You're MIT students, lots of career uh, options for you to consider. Real quickly, why a startup? What, what, do, what does a startup environment, based on your experience, offer new grads, as well as interns, that would be a differentiated experience, experience than, let's say, Facebook and Microsoft and other big, more established companies. Why don't we start with you, Elliot? Uh, so I started my career at Microsoft, so I can answer that question. I really hated it. I left after <laughs> 18 months or something like that. It really wasn't for me. I think startups in general provide a lot more autonomy, and that's what's good about them and bad about them. So you can fail and not realize it because there's not nearly as many people paying attention. Also means you're a lot more free to experience a very end-to-end -end spectrum of what being an engineer or a product manager or any other role entails. And um, I think 
uh, Michael said this at the beginning, it therefore provides a lot of outsized opportunities for career acceleration because if you really do an amazing job, there's almost always some new role. Most of the startups are growing and so there's always new things and new opportunities for you to explore a really broad space of different areas. And I think particularly early in your career, that can be really special. Justin. Yeah, so as someone who's never worked at a company larger than where we are currently at 70 people, <laughs> I don't sort of have perspective on the other side, but I mean, working in a startup, like it's kind of cliche, but and you mentioned autonomy, the things you work on also impact the bottom line directly of what you're doing every day. Like you can see it, you can see it translate into dollars and cents. Like we just recruited someone from like Parthenon EY consulting, similar sort of background. And, you know, so three months in, I was like, what's your favorite part of this, you know, experience working in a startup? And he was like, I did something that made the company an extra X hundreds of thousands of dollars in my first three months. Like I didn't have the opportunity to do that. It, my former company that was awesome and he's now you know continuing to sort of do the same thing so having a real impact on the bottom line and sort of the, then as a result like the people around you and everyone's livelihood and those kinds of things like resonate with startup employees for sure anything you want to add Gopal or Josh go ahead and go one thing is a startup so a startup is more likely to provide a transformative experience so if you're I often have sort of a framework that people can grow sort of horizontally in terms of developing lots of skills and then vertically as they kind of have sort of more sophisticated forms of thinking as they kind of look at things. And a startup is because because you're in, uh, you're more likely to be in an unstructured environment, you're more likely to have like rapid change come at you, you kind of have to deal with that. So you, you're more likely to kind of benefit from that sort of experience in terms of sort of personal growth. I think the, the downside, I think, which is the, you know, which is again the, the lack of structure is there's a lot of sort of sink and swim. And I think as well, you have to be careful that you also learn good good work habits somehow. So sometimes in startups, I think you don't learn good work habits. So I went through a big company first at undergrad and then started later. So I'm a little biased, but I'm thinking of people that we've had coming in. So that's just something to bear in mind. Now you can have enormous successes. So I mean, we had one of our first employees who just graduated with an MA and when they started, they went like, Absolute superstar, wrote some of the first code, and uh, you know, uh, VPs, and they actually sent them to business school after a while. <laughs> but, but, but like, you can have some enormous successes, and that it's not really not for I think the the one thing I'd say is, and this is kind of tied to Ellie's point on autonomy is speed, right? I think the the one thing we're seeing is technologies are turning over really quickly, and big companies are never going to be able to keep up with that. And so we feel that speed and the ability to just keep a competitive advantage by constantly changing technology sort of year after year or two years on the outside. I have friends that work at IBM. They're still programming in Fortran, but that seems impossible to me. Um, I think we, we're starting to see this wave where like front-end technologies are turning over every 18 months, but now we're starting to see infrastructure technologies turn over that fast, right? Like, and a lot of what Google is rolling out sort of indicates this. Similarly, at an impact level, you feel that same measure of speed. So the problem that I'm working on now is something that MGH was thinking about a lot, and this is an enormous organization with tons of clinical expertise, and they weren't even making a dent, right? Like four guys who just had an idea and built a software platform were able to get to those first few milestones a lot faster. I think that for you guys, especially starting out, that ability to constantly learn new technologies is going to be what will differentiate you as you know, whether it's coming from a, like a math physics background or a computer science background, I, I think you will get some of that at a big company, but not the way you will at a startup. And we've seen it really be transformative for some of our young engineers. 
in terms of uh, evaluating like interns, how many of you actually bring on interns co-ops? Everybody, as well as new grads. I mean, provide a quick sense of the types of roles that you're typically hiring in. And then I think, if we can, let's segue that into what gets you really excited about a new grad or an intern candidate. So let's start with roles and, and just to give an appreciation for where you've been hiring, but also probably appreciation for you know where some of the opportunities are going to be. Now, we don't have 3D printing company up here, so it's going to be quite different <laughs> in terms of EEs and ME positions and material science and that. And then before we do that, though, real quickly, uh, what would, what is your background? Uh, in terms mechanical of? engineering. So I'm here for uh, one year master's of engineering program in mechanical. Mechanical? Yep. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, maybe start with roles and then we can talk about uh, those characteristics that really you start getting excited about when you see an applicant. So let's start global. Yeah. Sure. So uh, this in some ways can mirror what I just said. So uh, we give, first of all, interns. Interns can very quickly scale to do the same things our day-to-day -day engineers do and, you know, compensation everything. And then we would obviously, someone that performs at that level, we would want to bring them on board. The, for our day-to-day -day engineers, so when we're interviewing candidates, we give challenges which are sort of tiered, and we've seen people put 80 hours into a challenge in one week, and that guy went on to become a principal engineer, and he's like sort of the, one of the best people on the team. I think you can definitely feel where people's trajectories are going, and a lot of it really is that ability to just put huge amounts of work in and learn very quickly. And you know, I think MIT prepares you very well for that, so. Yeah, also, just to like what makes a, an intern or a young grad successful and it's the most successful folks who are the ones that are the most curious like for sure the ones that ask the most questions put themselves in positions to ask the right questions also right so you know if there's extracurricular things or whatever that gets them involved with sort of senior level managers and just anyone else in the company and they're super curious and ask the most questions you know in terms of the type of roles like i think they're all going to be probably pretty similar, maybe, maybe not, but like the most successful folks, for sure, are the most curious. So ask tons and tons of questions. Yeah, um, so we do um, intern co-op programs in engineering um, in our behavior, the behavioral science team, cognitive psychologists, the same thing. We have marketing interns, we have um, customer success interns as well. Um, so we have the variety. We do summer programs and we also do um, sort of six-month uh, co-op programs as well. And uh, you know, I would echo the same thing. Like uh, our um, interns are you know, very well paid, and they go straight on. Often, we have a very high success rate to move into full-time position. Very, very high. The uh, in terms of you know to build off some of the other things to say, I, I, I would say I think this sort of relates to the curiosity point. I think that one of the big differentiations differentiated with soft skills. So, if somebody has a good ability to communicate hold eye contact, they'll, you know, there'll be an exchange and, and, and actually come in. Because one of the things that's sort of nice about startups is, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of sort of senior management have open door policies and people just barrel in and out and chat, which is not that sort of access often as in a big company. I don't think mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos lets all his interns come in and say hi. I'm not quite sure, but I don't think so. <laughs> so I think that is a sort of a, an advantage if you're kind of that way inclined. At PillPack, the more senior, the less of a desk or an office you have. No one has a private office at PillPack, but the uh, engineers and product managers all sit together in project rooms, and they're divided up based on whatever project they're on at that moment in time. 
the folks who work most across different teams usually have a desk out in a more social area, and then most of the, the leadership team uh, either doesn't have a desk or uh, their desk is like right in the center and they're not at it very often, um, and that's to be more accessible. So a lot of us, myself included, I don't, I don't actually have a desk. And I think I do technically, but it has a bunch of boxes on it. I haven't sat at it in more than six months. And uh, we have these high-top tables that are kind of in the middle of the office, and a lot of us just stand around there. And the whole point is to be as accessible as possible because the most value we can add is answering questions and providing context for others so they can go really get work done. And we treat interns on up to, to senior team members almost identical. Our expectations are a little different, obviously, because their, their experience is different. Um, but I think to what the others have said, because we treat everyone basically the same, it really ends up up to you. And uh, if you really do have the ability to operate in a fairly autonomous fashion, you'll just immediately get put on really large projects that have tons and tons of ownership. And uh, the really the only difference between an intern and a really senior team member is when an intern's new and we don't know them yet, we're spending a little more time with them just to kind of suss out exactly how autonomous they're capable of being. But you, you quickly get shown lots and lots of room to run if you're, uh, if you're capable of it. And that's probably what also defines success for us. And I think this is true really across the board. So we have a lot of software engineering uh, interns and co-ops, but we actually we hire people at an intern level really across the company. So everything from uh, mechanical engineering to finance to sales to marketing. So it's pretty, pretty broad. How would a candidate who's really interested in what your companies are doing, what's the best way for them to kind of get in the door, get your attention? I mean, you're getting a lot of volume a lot of people coming in. <clears throat> Universities, you know, maybe have their career systems. You're going to have your portals, your career job portals on your site. But there's a lot of noise in there as well. If someone is is really wired for reinventing pharmacy, right, what's the best way to kind of cut through all those other things that stand out at the end of yeah, uh, it really depends. There are interns oftentimes, I, I would say even team members, but especially interns fall into two archetypes. Some want a fairly specific job, in which case, honestly, applying through the website is actually a really good way to do it. Uh, if it fits a position that's posted on the website, we really do look at every single one of those resumes. Sending our cover letter, not in a formal sense, just explaining what it is that you think we do that's unique and why you want to be part of that. And usually that's an opportunity to somehow surface, you know, I talked to, I, I, I tracked down someone at the company, I talked to them, I actually do know something about what you guys are really building or what the culture is, and here's why it's a unique fit for what I want to experience. If you want a role that's really not on the site, but you think we do it for some reason, then uh, the best way is, is honestly to somehow track down somebody at the company, and that's where it gets a lot less specific. So could be just figuring out someone's email address and emailing them directly, People have gotten through in all kinds of creative ways. They come find us at events like this. I think at least five or six of our really key core team came from uh, coming to events like this or speaking at a class or something along those lines. A lot of people do cold email us, and, and we really do respond. So mm -hmm. um, it really comes down to just pitching in a really clear way what it is that you want to do that's novel and explaining why you know it didn't look like it was on the website, but... Uh, here's what you want to do. And as long as that articulation is really clear and, then, and we can understand why it would add to our vision and improve our customer's experience, then we get really excited. Yeah, getting in the door, like if you really want to work somewhere, getting in the door should be like, that should be, you should like figure that out. Like whatever, yeah, I don't know, whether it's applying on the website or finding someone or using Twitter, which like we, like people tweet at us, hey, I'm, you know, X, Y, and Z, I really want this job. And naturally like that'll get passed around because we see that. So like that's that's almost like you, sh you if you really want to work somewhere you should be able to figure that out. 
there's a question that I always ask in interviews that I think people think is like an easy one, but it's like, I'm actually looking for a pretty specific answer and it has to do with, I mean, the last question I'll ask is like, why do you want to work at Drizzly? And if the answer is, is specific, like I really want to work at a small company that's growing really quickly, technology, blah, 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 venture funding, yeah, like that's usually like a no, you know, I'm usually going to pass on that person, but if they have an answer that's like pretty specific as to like, you know, yes, you guys sell alcohol, like fine, but I'm interested in this, that, and the other part of it, like your ID verification technology or something to do with small businesses and retailers and how we're competing with Amazon and those sorts of things, it starts to become like, okay, you've done a little bit of research, it's clear you want to work here. So that to me is like the more important part. If you want to work somewhere specifically, like, you, you know, there's a million ways with technology these days to like reach out to someone. But once you're in the door, like you have to have some very specific things about that company that you say as to why you want to work there. Yeah. And that the reason for that is sort of to give sort of unstructured nature. So because like we can't trust our systems necessarily to keep someone in a box, so that you know, we need to sort of trust the person to keep themselves aligned. Yeah. So we have to like know that we're a natural extension of what you want to do, <laughs> right? Otherwise, it won't. It, we just know you'll just kind of go in a different direction. It won't help. <laughs> so that's sort of that's sort of a side effect. Of mm -hmm. yeah. I think right, also right. the fact that you get to us through a less traditional channel yeah. proves to us that you know how to operate in that environment. So we just yeah. inherently get more excited. We're all probably highly reachable, even if it's not super obvious on the surface. Mm -hmm. yeah. Twitter, like whatever. I've had a Facebook friend request before, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've kind of seen, I mean, with with startups, the founders are, and CEOs are quite accessible yeah. in almost all cases. Um, you know, it's just these are small companies. You come at them, and especially if you can bring a message that resonates with passion and excitement around what they're doing, you can get reactions and responses. And it's a great way to separate. And, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of other noise out there on the on the line. People just looking for jobs, so they're trying to separate that stuff out. And passion, excitement for the baby that they're building is a great way to kind of get their attention. Just something to think about. The hard thing is really being able to craft that in the context of what really gets you excited too, because otherwise it's not sincere. And you may be able to get somebody to react, but then the interview process and that start to sort that. Switching out the name of the company on the cover letter for everyone who's saying it doesn't fool we, we, yeah, anyone. We yeah. <laughs> I think we're in a slightly different uh, niche in that sense in that people are going to, like, 22-year-olds are going to know less about care management than they do about what Drizzly does. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, it really has to be a technology sell mm -hmm. of kind of where you're going or what you're interested in doing. So I think that a lot of times the people we get probably know one of our engineers or you know, and we're all over the place. We're at meetups, you know, we're at conferences, so we're easy to find. And I think it's totally true. We're super reachable, right? Like, this day and age, any one of us can be found. Specifically, a lot of us on here have strong, deep connections to MIT, so if you start asking around, the likelihood that you run into somebody who knows uh, someone personally in the company is pretty high. Um, I think that's less true if you're applying to a startup in San Francisco and you really want to move out there. You know, you're not necessarily going to have quite the same level of connection. You still probably have a lot because these are really mm -hmm. close communities, but it's just even more true for the four of us, is my guess. Mm -hmm. So what other aspects of a resume would stand out for you? I mean, are you valuing, you know, industry internships that they may have had, side projects, does GPA matter? I mean, and I know that can vary by company, but 
what what sort of matters when you're sort of evaluating making that decision besides the wrapper and messaging around things as to whether this is somebody you want to engage? I would say two things. I mean, history of success, it doesn't matter exactly what that's in necessarily, but history of success is always good. I like to see um, people who've taken some sort of jump before, like some sort of jump into the unknown in their life. So it could have been, you know, they, I don't know, worked at a, they went and did a, like a semester abroad, or there was some, like something where they, somebody moved into a completely unknown environment to them at the time and was able to do it and sort of survived and thought that was a positive experience. So those are two things sort of qualitative, I think. Uh, like prior, prior experience of success of some sort, like if, you're, if your GPA wasn't lacking and therefore was lacking and therefore it's not on your resume, it's like if you worked somewhere cool as an intern and did some neat stuff. Um, I'm going to find you on LinkedIn, so if you have like some recommendations on LinkedIn, that sort of stuff, you know, may matter. I'm going to reach out to someone that we're connected with mutually, probably. But yeah, I think you nailed it with like some history of success in some You know, I keep coming back to this word autonomy, but for us, it's, it's really important. I mean, we don't, we really don't have a ton of structure, and so it's really important that everyone be capable of going from really broad business and customer goals all the way through to what code are they really going to write. If we're talking about someone technical, if we're talking about another position, I think mm -hmm. it still has that same dichotomy. And um, so just some evidence of that. And I, I don't think we've ever looked at someone's GPA. Um, mm -hmm. I have no clue what the GPA of the folks on the team is. But Elliot, how would that translate <laughs> into activities yeah. and that? So, so if we're talking about software, we usually look for either an internship or some sort of real-world project, and we truly don't care about which it is. We just want evidence that you've gone from a goal to something that exists in reality, and the less structured the environment, the better. So it's not that an open-source project is necessarily better or worse than an internship. It's just obvious that there wasn't any extrinsic requirement that led to that open-source project. And I think same thing in an internship, it can easily be really structured around you and that's why you were successful, in which case it's not as helpful for us. And we'll usually try to suss that stuff out in the interview. We should have a section of our interview called a lunch and learn and you have to teach the team something. So we look for a, a project that you really owned from start to finish and we can see really quickly to what degree were you part of the team on that project and what degree did you really own a meaningful chunk of it. And we look for that, for evidence of those kinds of things. Can you guys do that sort of thing as well? Is it like a lunch and then a quick don't, but I like it. We will now. <laughs> with, with candidates? We have done it a little bit okay. in the past. We found that it works a lot better with senior candidates than okay. with junior candidates. Okay. Yeah, we, we put a big, we do, a, we do that with every candidate. Everybody has does some sort of talk or something to see that one of the reasons is we put a, we put a, like a huge amount of store and collaboration between people of different, different disciplines, because that was how the original technology was developed. So we like to know that somebody can speak about a topic that they know well people that are also smart but don't know the topic. So that's a, and, we, and we, one of the ways we test for that is, is, a, is a little mini presentation, which sounds like the way you That's do actually it. why we do it. And pharmacists have just as much terminology as software engineers, maybe more. And software engineers are impossible to understand to pharmacists and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. And so if you, re, if you can't explain how you're building something, they can't trust that it's actually going to be safe. Yeah. There's a lot of what we build at the end of the day. You're in the pharmacy explaining to somebody, hey, I think I can really improve how X, Y, and Z process works. And one of the ways we deliver a better, more accurate, safer experience for our consumers is because we're doing that stuff. But it also means that you have to be able to explain to people who know nothing about your domain why it's going to work. And, and you have to be able to understand from them so when they explain it. So we, it's, it's exactly the same.
I think for us, <laughs> we're, we're really looking for one thing, which is just kind of love of the game. So I think that now, because there are so many people coding, there's a lot of people that are just coding because it's a job and it compensates really pretty reasonably well, right? And so what we're looking for is that sign of that person who they were going to be coding anyway, and they're probably going to be spending all their time coding. Well-roundedness is not super important to us. I probably shouldn't admit that. And so you're looking for those little things that just like someone that went through a boot camp wouldn't have, right? Like you've probably looked at some weird language or you know, you know some other random things. We definitely, like Elliot said, I have no idea what anyone's GPA is. I really don't care where you went to school, like any of these things. You could be, you know, 16 years old, you could be 50 years old, it makes no difference to us. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, an interesting note on that, so we give uh, almost an identical interview to every candidate regardless of seniority. And it's amazing how much that helps you see the commonalities in different people. So like the lunch and learn for us, some of, I, I think the success rate is actually higher the more junior you are. Um, some of the really senior <laughs> candidates have just gotten so used to working with people exactly like them. Uh, they're really bad at explaining I can't say their, that. their projects. That's the weirdest one, like salespeople for some reason always like this. You think like, that's like their job, <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> what about startup experience uh, uh, on a resume? Can I just tack one more yeah, thing yeah, on the, yeah, yeah. So we've seen exactly what Elliot was saying. So junior candidates do much, much better than senior candidates. And I think this is a reflection of the time. Senior candidates are so used to doing exactly one thing. And they're just like, I do this one thing. And we're like, well, we're going to keep asking you to do different things. So like, uh, whereas junior candidates are totally up <coughs> for that challenge. I think one way, another way to sort of frame that, which is uh, we use it, because you know, we use it for, we say we look for people that have, um, we'll do first principles thinking. So the, so the poem what is was that, John? first principles thinking. Uh -huh. So the, the, it's the same way, it's different way of saying the same thing. So one of the challenges is often with startups, you have people come in that have a certain level of experience or like prior opinions, and they want to apply them. That's exactly the wrong thing for most startups who are trying to do something new. So generally what you're trying to do is have somebody, maybe they have some experience, maybe they don't have some experience, but when they come in, they're going to look at something with fresh eyes, kind of develop it, like building blocks from the ground up in terms of how they think about problems. And like finding people who are willing to can do that is one of the things that I, I suspect mm. you're testing for, honestly. That's testing for <laughs> So startup experience, or, or someone who founded their own startup on campus, let's say, I mean, how does that signal to you when you're sort of looking at those individuals? Really important? Not that important? You know, it depends on what they did? It depends on what they did for me. Mm -hmm. Like, if they got something, if they started it, and it was not just like, I, I think <coughs> I saw a South Park episode the other day, and it was on YouTube, they just came up with a name, and that was all they did. But it has to be more than a name. You have, if you've done like a thing that's like you maybe got someone to give you, like getting somebody to part with a check is like one of the hardest things in the world. So you got somebody to give you some money for something, and it's generally a, a pretty impressive thing at any level. Uh, you know, so you built something, and it you know got you know got to a certain point, and you can you can point to it. So I think it depends, like the actual project. It also it depends on the role too, right? Like if you've got a whole company full of like chiefs, as we. Like you know, who have like started their own companies and have their way of doing things, and you know, you're never gonna. You, you need both sides, so mm -hmm. like it totally depends on the role, but it's certainly a good indicator for a startup that you've back to like the autonomy thing that you know how yeah. to operate in an unstructured environment. So it's a plus. It's definitely not like a requirement by any means. I think for us, we really care about authenticity. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to know why you did stuff. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, it's hard to trust that you're really going to go from an unstructured end goal to a clear project that fulfills that goal if you aren't really good at connecting disparate dots. And so if the reason you started a company doesn't feel very authentic mm -hmm. and it feels like you, you thought it was a cool thing to put on a resume so you did it, then, it's, then it probably hurts you, not helps you. 
if it feels really authentic, then it's extremely helpful because it shows that you have this really authentic desire to do something and the way you fulfilled it was by starting something completely new from scratch. So it shows both the authenticity and the ability to operate in an, in an unclear environment without clear objectives or goals. So we've got uh, three MIT grads on the panel who kind of know the community, although the community may have, may have changed here a little bit since uh, some of you graduated. But I mean, what would you recommend uh, to folks here uh, in, in terms of how to really take advantage of their time at MIT? I'm, my, my team is up there, so, but I, I spend a lot of time with them. So. I mean, I, I'm always amazed by the number of sort of decentralized entrepreneurial associations that are everywhere. So, uh, you know, I I know um, you know the mentoring, mentoring mentoring service. I think at MIT is fantastic, just as a group of like experienced mentors who will be very you know be well connected and can help identify. I mean, because they're mentoring. That might be an interesting place to connect to specifically for child finding. Or if you have a project of your own, that's a, a, a totally do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'll put a plug in for the Sloan Entrepreneurship Centre um, for all of it. I think it's a really good job. Um, I'm, uh, I'm less familiar with some of the ones on main campus. Um, so, and I suspect they've changed in the time since I was there. Mm -hmm. I think uh, all those suggestions are great suggestions. I actually worked for the Trust Centre before I went to school at Sloan. Um, so I'm a big Bill Allett fan and a big fan of the center. It's a great place to connect, both to learn more about how companies get built, but also just to connect into companies in the community. So, so definitely agree. The, the more important thing, at least that I felt when I left, was just spending time thinking about uh, how do you want to stay connected to campus and then building those relationships kind of before, before your time on campus ends. It's a really rich environment and I think very unique how much MIT is welcoming of its community, whether you're still technically on campus or not. So it's a, it's a great school for letting you, uh, enabling you to stay connected. But you have to be somewhat purposeful about it. I think in the same spirit that it's a good startup community, it's good because it doesn't have a lot of structure. So you have to decide kind of where do you want to be plugged into and how do you want to stay plugged into those places. And for me, a lot of that was about learning. So what types of topics do I want to know something about and therefore know the professors involved in it so I can stay kind of involved with them and just sort of hear what they're working on and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's led to a lot of just participation in classes and things like that since then. Um, so that, that would probably be my, my additional suggestion. I think my take on this is, is very biased towards kind of wanting to work on the things that are most technically interesting to me. And so I think the one thing that you come back to over and over again as times are changing so quickly is basics. And the one thing that I'm seeing more and more, and I feel like MIT is a little bit drifting away from this, is just like, that sort of fire hose education, especially as freshman and sophomore, like those are the things you're always going to come back to. I feel like it's things that I learned sort of 15 or 16 that are like the core of everything I do. And having gone through graduate school and realizing that you're just using those things over and over again and like every new technology that we embrace now, the core of my understanding of it came about as a teenager. And so I, the more you try and enforce those things and just rep them out, like I know it sounds kind of pedestrian to say that, that will serve you well. So you'll be at the sharp end of things and get to work on the most interesting projects and the ones with the biggest impact. Let's say you're sitting in that chair right now. What would you want to know, you know, from where you've been over the last couple of years? What would you want to have known then in terms of startups, what they have to offer, 
best advice anyone can give you uh, at that stage? When we do kind of events like this for people at our company, the last question we always ask is like similar. It's like what makes a good startup employee? Like what what are the characteristics of that type of person? And for me, it always comes back to like relentlessness. And I was with you know where you guys are in school, wanting to start my own company one day. Like I, we were just like relentless about doing that. Like no meant nothing, and you know it was all about that one yes out of a hundred. It's the same for you guys, like and for us still up here. Like relentlessness is the number one characteristic that I think everyone who wants to work at a startup needs because you're gonna be told no by a whole bunch of people like internally and externally and all that. So like once you're at a startup, that's definitely it. But then also like when you're trying to figure out where do you fit, it's being relentless about what you know you think you want. In some ways, I'd almost be curious to hear kind of what you guys are thinking. I have a very sort of, again, biased take on this because I was coming at it as a scientist first and then sort of defected into the startup universe. The one thing that I would want to know that I wish I knew a few years ago was kind of the trajectory of where things are heading. I think that almost everything that we're doing now, you wouldn't have done in a startup 10 years ago because there just weren't that many or maybe further back. But, you know, like most of the interesting research technologically is now happening in big software companies. I think for us, we probably feel like a lot of the innovation in healthcare is now happening in startups rather than either in, you know, certainly not in academia and then not in big healthcare institutions. So I think getting a little insight into where those things are going, I would certainly be asking about. I definitely wish I knew that five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, I would say it's important to understand that you're not all startups are the same. So um, there are bad ones and there are good ones. And the, this, the, what are startups? Startups are like multiple companies end to end. <laughs> so like there's like the first phase where you're like sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks and trying to find product market. That is almost like a completely different type of organization. And there's one where you've kind of got some spaghetti and you're trying to see if it's the right one and you know and, and then and then sort of finally you get something and then you're trying to scale it so like and, and so like having a sense of of just the different like major phases in a startup and understanding what phase you want to be in. So like we're in the kind of expansion stage now, so you know half the people have been in the company less than six months and like you know there's all this sort of crazy stuff that's happening. But like for a long time we were complete, you know just in like search mode for a long time or in R and D mode before. So I think like pure R&D. So I think you just got to understand the, the basic phases and then try and categorize your target companies according to your interest. And typically that mm. would mean product is the main focus in the early stages, right? And identifying good product market fit. So if you're engineers, there's going to be need, definitely need for engineers at that point. Once it hits the market, a lot of the investment's going to be around sales and marketing growth need for those types of individuals still need for product uh, and what you're doing on product is going to be different right you're that's right we're going to have more features or maybe like re-architecting it because now it has to scale <laughs> like you know there's like a bunch of stuff that have you know that sort of it all kind of evolve right? yeah so understanding where a company yeah. stage sits in terms of the area of where you're most interested is a, is a good strategy for making sure you're not trying to pitch a, a seed stage company on being a salesperson, for example, right. because there's probably not a need for that at that stage. Um, I wish I had like, focused uh, less on the like purpose or outcome of my career and a little bit more on just learning things. I'm a, an extremely mission-driven person. It is 100% of the reason why I care about PillPack. 
And I have always behaved that way in my career. And I wish earlier in my career I had spent more time just accumulating expertise and skills. And I probably would have approached that very similarly. You know, there's depth and there's breadth. And so some of it would have just been, man, I'm gonna do lots of different jobs so I can experience breadth. And uh, for some of them, I would want to just go super deep. So, you know, I think I, I frequently see this with software engineers who think that someday they wanna be a product manager, not a software engineer. And I think that's because when they look into the future, they don't want to be a VP of engineering or maybe a CTO. And so they start thinking, well, then I just shouldn't be a software engineer to begin with. And they've just got a four-year degree in software engineering. So I know a lot about it. They're actually really great engineers. It's a great type of example where I wish that you would just go be an engineer for three or four years, really make sure you understand what engineering is about, and you really solidify it as a skill. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go on and do other stuff after that. You should absolutely do that. But really, you know, don't, in some ways, sort of don't rush ahead. It doesn't mean that you're not moving fast in your career because you are. Sometimes the fastest way to get there is to really make sure that there are some core things in your life that you're really great at. Well, Josh, Justin, Gopal, Elliot, hey, thank you very much. Um, they're going to be around for a little bit, uh, a couple minutes. So if you want to grab them one-on-one, uh, -on -one, by all means, uh, take advantage uh, of it. Uh, and thank you very much for carving time out of what I know is a very busy schedule. So have a great night. Thanks for listening to Startups, Talent, and Winning on Campus. If you've enjoyed this podcast, definitely feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues. For additional info and resources, visit thinkbig.com. That's think, B as in boy, the number one, G as in girl, dot com. Thanks again.